This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Asian Insider, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Now, the Philippines has a new president, as we all know. Ferdinand Marcos Jr. was elected and sworn in on the 30th of June. But today, we are not here to dive into the labyrinth of Philippine politics, but to look at foreign policy under this new president. How is Marcos Jr. going to steer between China and the U.S.? And in particular, what are Philippine views and expectations of the United States, which, of course, is a mutual defense treaty ally, a very critical alliance indeed. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was in Manila recently, even as China was conducting live-fire military drills around Taiwan. Now, joining me today from the Philippines are longtime investigative journalist and writer Marites Vitug and Richard Haidarian. Marites is currently editor-at-large for Rappler and chair of the Journalism for Nation Building Foundation, a nonprofit affiliate of Rappler, and she is the author of half a dozen books, including this one, 2018, Rock Solid, I have a copy right here, about how the Philippines won its maritime case against China. Marites, welcome to Asian Insider. Thank you for joining. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Richard is a prolific political and foreign policy analyst, author, incoming senior lecturer in international affairs at the University of the Philippines Asian Center, and columnist at the Philippine Daily Inquirer. Richard, welcome back to Asian Insider. Thank you for doing this. Great to finally join you again, Nirmal. Thanks, Richard. And I want to start with you, Richard. But Marites, after that, I will put the same question to you as well. Richard, just days ago, you wrote of a reset of Philippine foreign policy under President Marcos. Mm. National Security Advisor Clarita Carlos has mentioned critical engagement with China. Uh, the president will be visiting Indonesia and Singapore, I believe, for his first state visits. And they are working on a U.S. visit as well, possibly for the U.N. Mm. General Assembly. But as I said at the top, how is the Philippines going to steer between China and the U.S. going forward at this time of really intensified competition? How do you see this working out? Well, I think a lot of commentators were expecting Marcus Jr. to be a continuation of Duterte's presidency when it comes to relations with the major powers. But they have been arguing, and I think so far this is bearing true, that he's more like his father rather than the former Filipino president. I think He's pursuing what we call multi-vector foreign policy, whereby he wants to keep relations with major powers, all major powers, on an even keel, uh, extract the maximum concessions and benefits from each of these relationships without depending on each of them or alienating each of them unnecessarily. Because this has been the story of the Philippines over the past decade or so. We had presidents who would side with one superpower, but alienate the other. So under Aquino, for instance, we had a very confrontational relationship with China, but a very close relationship with the United States. Duterte essentially just reversed that. So his independent foreign policy was more like pivot to China foreign policy. I think Marcos, what he's doing is, is he is, you know, to use the Hegelian term, negating the negation, right? So he's not going back to the more reformist liberal approach to America and China, but it's not also continuing necessarily what Duterte was doing, which is really dependent more on China and then adopting a very aggressive anti-Western stance. So, so far, that seems to be what Marcus Jr. is really focused on. But there are also structural elements and personal elements there. Of course, Marcus Jr., unlike Duterte, doesn't have a long history of resentment against the Americans. And the American government has made it clear that their court cases in the U.S. will not 
you know, really affect him if he's going to visit because of the sovereign immunity. Most of his family have been educated in the West. So there's so many personal psychological factors that make democracies different from Duterte. But the structural factors are also very important. Approval ratings of America are incomparable to China, which is still very unpopular in the Philippines. And also the Philippine defense establishment is very much for maintaining robust relations with the U.S. and relatively skeptical disposition towards China. So when you put all of these things together, it makes sense what uh, Marcos Jr. has been doing so far. So Marites, the same question to you, if I may. How do you see the Bongbong Marcos administration balancing in terms of foreign policy compared with former President Rodrigo Duterte, who, as Richard said, was quite notorious for sniping at the United States? Yes, in fact, uh, I think there are two different personalities. No? Duterte as compared to, to Marcos. Now we see more civility. We're so relieved. There is no cursing. There is no issuing of threats. But let us look at the personal history of, of Bongbong Marcos. It was a love-hate relationship with the U.S. personally, from his personal point of view. Remember, in 1986, the U.S. whisked away his family when there was a popular revolt. And then eventually they had a court case in the U.S. But as Richard said, the U.S. has said that he can go to the visit America without being uh, uh, hailed to, to court. And also, as Richard said, Bongbong studied in Wharton in Pennsylvania, although he didn't finish it. So there is this familiarity with the U.S. And he met his future wife in New York. And they said that New York was the place where they could, their relationship could blossom. And at the same time, it was the U.S., a New York court, which acquitted Imelda Marcos of racketeering. So there is this apparent fairness. But also, when you look at China, Bongbong Marcos was, uh, was very young when he traveled with his parents to Beijing in 1975 when his father opened relations with China. And he has this famous photo with Mao, Mao Zedong and, and his mom. And that was the time that there was support for martial law imposed by his father. So there's a lot of civility. And I think he, um, I agree with Richard that he will try to get the best from both uh, countries. And, um, but it, I, it's a bit early for me to make a conclusive uh, statement because there are tests that we have to see. First, will Marcos be able to allow a Philippine vessel to survey in the contested Red Bank for oil and gas without China as a partner because of the looming energy crisis in three to five years will run out of oil and ga uh, of gas rather. So that's a big test. How will Marcos react to Chinese incursions, illegal fishing, uh, maritime militia, Chinese Coast Guard in the West Philippine Sea. And so let's see. Uh, let's see how he will walk the talk if ever we, he reaches those points. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Very good point, because at some point, reality kicks in, right? It's not just policy. It's about dealing with stuff on the ground or at sea. So in a recent opinion poll, which I saw, around 31% of respondents in the Philippines said that the Philippines should extend a great deal of trust to the U.S. 58% said the Philippines should give the U.S. a fair amount of trust. So that got me thinking, while the Philippines has had a very complex relationship with the United States, as we know, a long history, it has 
pretty consistently been pro-US, hasn't it? I mean, there were some exceptions. They turned down the renewal of the the US bases at Clark and Subic, but that was a long time ago now. Uh, and so notwithstanding the alliance, tell me more about public perceptions in the Philippines about the US and public perceptions of China. Richard, do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I've written extensively on this issue. Trying, We have to interrogate the numbers. So it's true that America has high trust rating or favorability among the Filipinos. And China and Russia don't have very high numbers. In fact, net negative 30s, the numbers where China has been struggling for quite some time. But there also have been surveys whereby alliance reliabilities have been put into question. So and that's where we see some problems for the U.S. So in 2017, there was this Pulse Asia survey, very authoritative survey, that showed that a large plurality of Filipinos would rather expand defense relations with U.S. with China and Russia because a large number of Filipinos feel the United States has not been as reliable in the South China Sea, which we call the West Philippine Sea. So as much as we like America, based on the surveys, we have some issues with America's reliability. That is why it was extremely important when Pompeo under the Trump administration and later on Blinken under Biden clarified that the mutual defense treaty will be relevant in the context of the South China Sea disputes. That clarification, had it not been made, I think would have made it very easy for the pro-China factions within the Philippine government, the Philippine elite to constantly say, yes, we may love America, but America is not a reliable ally. So even if you don't like China or Russia, we have to hold our nose and make a deal with them. In fact, that was exactly the point that Duterte was making for a very long time. But eventually, even Duterte had to re-examine that when the U.S. helped him with the vaccination issues, when a lot of his top officials, the defense minister, the foreign secretary back then, were pressuring him to keep the visiting forces agreement. And I think under Marcos, I think there's this realization that, you know, not only do we like America, but actually we can get a lot out of America. So that's why Marcos Jr. said we're open to join the Indo-Pacific economic framework. And he said we want more trade rather than aid. So it's kind of a results-oriented, constructive relationship that I think Marcus wants with the U.S. And as far as China is concerned, I always said, it's not a debt trap. It's a pledge trap. They pledged billions of dollars to the Philippines and show me one major big ticket infrastructure project by China. I'm still waiting for them. So that also makes it very difficult for Marcus to say, hey, let's go with China, forget about the U.S. Because China's reliability is also now under question. Very interesting. Marita, is your thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, there's an October 2021 survey released by the Stratbase, this think tank. I think, Richard, you're part of this think tank. And they commissioned a survey in October, which came out October 2021. And 82% want the Marcos government, at the time, whoever would be uh, the new government, to assert sovereign rights in the West Philippine Sea. 85% want want the Philippines to form an alliance with other countries in defending economic and territorial rights. And then um, as far as trust in the U.S. is concerned, that 75% much trust. And for China, it's 21% much trust, but 55% little trust. And again, Richard mentioned about the enduring ties between the Philippine military and the U.S. military. That's very difficult to dilute or, or weaken. So that, that will stay. And um, China has, in fact, there are two major um, infrastructure projects which China funded. It's a dam, which is controversial, highly controversial. It's going on. 
and it's an another is an irrigation project which is now operational, not as controversial, but correct. China has not delivered really on a lot of its promises. Okay, uh, the quick follow up on that. What is uh, Marites first to you? What is the view in the Philippines of the expanding architecture of you know the Quad and AUKUS and so forth? Is this seen in the Philippines as attempting to contain China and therefore good for the Philippines? Well, Quad is it's only discussed in limited circles near Malas, you know, maybe the academics, analysts, intellectuals. So Quad is seen really as a move to contain uh, China. And it became active during the pandemic because of the uh, rise of China's vaccine diplomacy. But if you look at the numbers, the U.S. gave us thir- gave the Philippines 33 million doses of a vaccine compared to China's, if I'm not mistaken, 6 million doses. So uh, that's a big plus for the U.S. and its allies in the region. And also, this is not directly having to do with the Philippines, but it's, it could be a lesson for President Marcos. When Malaysia commissioned a vessel to drill for oil in its uh, in a contest in an area contested by China, there was mutual exercise, joint exercise between Australia and the U.S. near the area where Malaysia was drilling. I'm sure it's not a coincidence. I'm sure this was planned. So this kind of alliances will work when the tests will come during Marcos's uh, early year, or first year, I think. Very interesting. Richard, back to you for a closing thought on that question. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward. There are a number of things I think will be the, uh, you know, the indicators of where Marcos is really want to go, uh, really wants to go in the coming years. I mean, one of them is the implementation of the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement. I think we have been talking a lot about the Mutual Defense Treaty, which is a generic treaty or the Visiting Forces Agreement, which, as important as it was, I, I re- really never thought Duterte wants to get rid of it. I think it was, it was more of leveraging. But we don't talk about EDCA as much, and EDCA is really the big deal here, because under the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement, the Americans are supposed to have uh, the ability to preposition weapons, to so have forward deployment presence in very key bases, Basa Air Base, close to the north of Philippines, Scarborough, in an event of contingency with Taiwan, that will be important. Then you have the Bautista Air Base in Palawan, close to the Spratlys. I think that's one key indicator. The second one is the joint development agreement discussions with China, which essentially collapsed under Duterte, as we predicted. Will Marcus bring it back? I think if Marcus brings it back, then that's going to be a kind of alarm. Alarm bells should be set off because that means he wants to compromise at any cost, perhaps to get investments from China. And, they are, and, and you know, I really want to end on this point because I think it also matters how China and U.S. approach Marcos. And more than that, how other powers, middle powers like Japan, like Britain, like France, like Australia approach. If you think, if you look at Marcos, one of the things he did in his first few days after winning the presidency was to meet ambassadors, not only from U.S. and only later on from China, but from Italy, from from India, from Korea, from Japan. So it seems he's paying also attention to the role of the non-superpowers who who are still very influential in our part of the world. So that middle power diplomacy is another thing that I'm going to watch out for uh, in the coming years and so. Okay, fascinating. Marites Vito, Richard Hadarian, Maraming Salamat. Thank you for your time. Such a pleasure. And please take care out there. You're most welcome. That nicely wraps this discussion up for the Asian Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Dilmal Ghosh. Join me and my expert guests for the next episode, usually on the fourth Friday of every month.
That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.